Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Let's stay standing for our scripture reading this morning. We have a nice, warm Mediterranean lakeside scene from Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went from there. He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Every so often, someone will tell me that scripture is unrelatable or distant or seems like this isn't a, a full encapsulation of how life really works. And, and some of these moments, I think, are because I don't think Matthew specifically in this story gives us all the context we need for the for the story at hand. Because let's just pretend you're somebody who's fishing by a lakeside, and, and I'm just going strictly from the story that Matthew tells with no other details. You are, you are fishing on a lakeside with your friend, your brother, two of your buddies who are in a boat nearby, and a random stranger comes walking down the seaside and says, you're going to fish for people from now on. Come on. Now, is anything in your mind thinking immediately say yes to this? I think there's some context missing. Let's just modernize it for a little bit. The Cowboy game is at, what, 3 o'clock, 3.30 today. You've still got time to go to HEB and get your case of supplies and all the things that you're going to make for the Cowboy game today. And so while you're, at the Cow while you're at HEB, you are amazingly inspired by this story from Scripture, and you're amazingly inspired by this sermon and the entire worship experience, and you want to invite somebody into your life. And so you get your supplies, and you're going through the checkout counter, and you're not at the self-checkout counter. You're at the one that actually an actual person staring at you from the other side. And let's just say his name is Bob. And you say, Bob, come on with a cowboy game to me today, right? Come on to my house. Really? You don't know anything about Bob. There's not a chance you're probably going to extend that invitation readily immediately. And how do you think it makes Bob feel for some stranger to be coming through his place of work and say, you know what, today you're coming to my house. I mean, how do you think Bob feels? Nervous? Danger? Awkward? Now here's the real test. Let's say you extend the invitation to Bob and Bob is like, let's do it! What's your reaction? Because your reaction is probably somewhere along the lines of like, 
well, we keep being told we should invite things to, you know, invite people to things at church. And so I felt kind of convicted to do this. I didn't think they were really going to say yes. So now all of a sudden I got to open my home to this random stranger who's coming in. How do you feel about that? Well, nervous, awkward, danger. I mean, there's all sorts of different feelings and situations that go into an invitation. And here in Matthew, we have Andrew and Simon and James and John who received a random invitation from a random guy because there's no context to their relationship whatsoever. And immediately, yes, let's do this. Now, they could just be people of supernatural faith. They could be people who have just that built-in acceptance of invitation. They could be thrill-seekers and risk-takers who, you know, wanna, you want to jump off the temple today? Yep, let's do it. Whatever happens will happen. But my guess is, is we're not getting the full story here. And, and we're not getting the full story because Matthew's gospel is just a piece of the puzzle. Matthew's gospel is kind of one telling of this story. And when we see other, uh, other retellings that we'll get to, uh, next week, we're going to go to the same story, but told through Luke's lens. And then you've got John, who tells it a whole different thing. And, there, and there's different pieces of the puzzle about this story. There's context that makes it where we might know the immediacy of their response, and it might make a little more sense. Like, for example, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus comes, uh, when Jesus meets Andrew and Simon Peter, it's not by the lake shore. It's uh, with John the Baptist. And, and when we find out that Andrew has been a disciple of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist has been telling the Israelites that the Messiah, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for hundreds of years, the one who will free them from centuries of oppression and domination and enslavement almost, that Messiah is here. So they've been praying. Every Passover, they've been asking, are we going to eat in Jerusalem again? Are we going to be there next year? Every celebration they have, every religious feast, every time they go to Shabbat service, they're reaffirming this uh, prophecy from Isaiah and Micah and all of the prophets that, uh, that keep telling them there's going to be the Son of God, the agent of God, come and free you. And so they've heard this invitation over and over and over again. And finally, here's John the Baptist who is proclaiming that day is here. And apparently it was so convincing that someone like Andrew really took this to heart. And Andrew went and he told his brother Simon, Peter, and said, you'll never guess what this guy John is saying. And so their, you know, minds are on high alert that we should be looking out. This guy has something to say. We're looking out for the Messiah. And oh, here he comes. And how important the Messiah is to the Israelite people, to the Jewish people, cannot be underestimated. This is their hope and their dreams. Their savior, if you will, if we use Christian terms. And if that person comes and asks you to follow them, there is no greater, higher purpose and calling in your life in Judaism than to follow the Messiah into the freedom that the Messiah offers and the kingdom of God that the Messiah is going to lead them into. And there's another part of that context, too, about that being a student of the, of the Messiah or the student of the law, following, getting deeper into the law. There, there was no higher ambition, especially probably for Jewish parents for their kids, because we lived vicariously through our children. And uh, there was no higher purpose, no higher calling than for, for the kids to grow up and become a great student of a rabbi, or a great student of the law, and eventually maybe a rabbi themselves. There, there was a 
even an expression that an author named Rob Bell talks about of, may you be uh, covered in the, the dust of your rabbi. Maybe you'd be caked in the dust of your rabbi because you're following your rabbi so closely that the dust is kicking off, off his sandals and covering you in it. And so there's no higher ambition to be a true student of the law, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a rabbi. And, and what Rob Bell does is in, in an in a explanation is he goes through kind of the Jewish education system. And it's a little bit like, you know, preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, and that there's kind of a transition point. There's, there's a star test you have to take to go to the next level. There's an SAT you got to take to get into college. There's, you know, certain tests along the way, and what they do is they weed out students along the way. So if you are a rabbi or a Pharisee, you are the creme de la creme, the best of the best of the best for every highest ideal of being a student of a rabbi, a student of the law, and Andrew and Simon Peter and James and John were not that. They were fishing. They didn't make it through. And in fact, the way the dynamics work is they might not have even ever gotten the chance. They weren't allowed, maybe, to be a student of the law. Maybe they couldn't afford to go to school. Maybe they just picked up the family trade that their father had, you know, Zebedee had given them the keys to the boat, and they had gone and, and been apprentices for Zebedee or, you know, Andrew and Simon's father at one point. And, and the point I'm making is that there's this highest ideal of following the, the law of God, the way of God, that that is the highest ideal of a Jewish person. And, and in, through the education system, we see they weren't allowed or they didn't make it to be that level of person. And so all of a sudden, someone who must have had a reputation by that point, who's been tempted in the wilderness, who's been pointed to by John the Baptist, who in the Gospel of John has performed a miracle at Cana at the wedding by this point, and, and a couple different other miracles if you look at the Gospel of Luke by this point, someone with a reputation of being a teacher, a rabbi, walks down the seashore and says, hey, I want you to be the best of the best of the best. I want you to live into the highest ideal and calling of a Jewish person. If you're somebody who's been a fisherman, who's maybe been looked down upon, who maybe even never got the chance to be the best of the best of the best, and someone says, hey, come follow me, you can see where they might immediately take that, take that invitation and run with it. There's also a little bit more context to this story. So there's the context of waiting on the Messiah and how important that was. And there's the context of kind of this invitation into a higher echelon of life and a different higher purpose of life. But also, um, if from a biblical study standpoint, uh, Matthew tells this story, but it's not original to Matthew. Matthew is not the first gospel written. It comes first in the gospels because the people who put the kind of order of the Bible together, considered it to be the most important and authoritative for the church because it really deals with matters of church. But the Gospel of Mark was written before Matthew, probably by 10 to 20 years. And Matthew and Luke both borrow from, from Mark's Gospel. So if you go to Mark chapter 1, you will find this story word for word as in Matthew chapter 4. And Mark well, Mark shouldn't—Mark seems to know a lot, but, which is interesting because Matthew was there— Mark wasn't. 
Mark was a disciple of Peter later on, either in Alexandria or Rome, as where tradition locates Mark at. And Mark was a disciple of Peter who uh, scholarship believes the Gospel of Mark is Peter's recounting of all of these stories that Mark is writing down so that other people can have Peter's legacy for posterity. And so what we're getting is Peter's biography, if you will. And, and what I think is funny is that if Peter is recounting to Mark that uh, Jesus' invitation for him to follow him, of course it's going to be immediately. Why would Peter make himself look bad by saying, well, there was that time I denied Jesus three times, and I really struggled with the open invitation from the Messiah. I just wasn't sure about it, right? It didn't feel right at the time. No, of course Peter's going to say immediately. But maybe he wasn't just trying to make himself look better. Because as we know from the life of Peter, he received the invitation by the lakeshore. And he received the invitation to be the rock. And he received the invitation, even after he had denied Jesus three times, to come back and be the lead of the disciples. And we know that Peter was given invitation after invitation. Even when Peter wanted to slice off the guard's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane to protect Jesus, he was given the invitation to be nonviolent and peaceful. Peter was given invitation after invitation to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus over and over and over again. So by the time Mark is writing this gospel, as he's hearing Peter teach, Peter may have just been in that point of, have, have a, of having a friend who he doesn't even remember how it started. It's just something that's always been there. And so when, when Mark is telling the story of immediacy and Matthew's taking the story of immediately responding, it may just be because they have accepted the invitation so many times, it, they can't even remember the first time. It's just a natural relationship. It's just a relationship that, that forms their identity and becomes a part of them. It's something that when you ask Peter or Mark or otherwise to, who are you? Describe yourself. What's the, what's the bigger picture of who you are? Well, it's, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so when I'm looking back in kind of revisionist history format, of course I said yes immediately because I've said yes so many times. Because the invitation of Jesus is one that is persistent. It's one that calls us into relationship with Jesus. But that's not how invitations work. Not a, a one-off is not how they work. As I was telling the children, one of the things that, that um, I read an article about, and I've experienced this a little bit, maybe you've experienced this some, but um, any person post-elementary school really, but especially post-college, who tries to make a friend, apparently, especially for men, one of the hardest things to do in this life is to make a good, solid, best friend after you graduate college. And for anybody really in the working field, I would imagine, too, you have your work friends that may come and go, change jobs, get fired, who knows what happens. You may transition on. And you have your church friends that you meet, but, but you have all of these different invitations in your life. There's the work invitations that are somewhat responsible. You know, you have to get paid. You have to work to get paid. There's invitations to come to church. There's invitations to be on a sports team. There's invitations to make sure your house is in order. There's invitations to make sure that the groceries are settled. There's invitations to ball games. There's invitations to social clubs. There's invitations all over the place, and it becomes so many options and so many invitations that we're not really sure where to settle or, or who to settle with. And also in that, there's so many tasks and priorities that when it comes to relationships, well, that seems, super, you know, that seems something that, well, that's a bonus if I can ever get there because I have to keep all of these other things running in an order. And so apparently, in, you know, in elementary school, we just heard the kids, it's, it's real easy. You go and you say, hey, do you want to be my friend? And they say yes, and then you're friends and you play after that. And then somewhere along the line, we get really self-conscious about who we are and what these invitations mean. I mean, especially if you're 
talking about, you know, going from friends to more than friends and dating. Well, do they like me? Do they not like me? And all of these things that play in our heads that we don't want to be really explicit about. But the same process plays out for when you're making a friend. I could go to someone and be like, hey, you, you want to hang out today? And they might say yes. And then it, how many of you have ever tried to make an adult friend? You go and you say, you know, hey, you want to do something? You go to the movies, you hang out, you go to a bar, you watch the game. And it's almost like you're on your first date. Because the entire time you're thinking like, do they like me? Are we just together because we like Marvel movies or like the Cowboys together? Is it convenient that we're just here in the same space together? Because then you got to do the hardest part, and the hardest part is the second invitation. Because the second invitation is, is fraught with, well, did they have as good of a time as I had? And you have to have the guts to give them a call and be like, hey, I know it was kind of just convenient that we were together watching the Cowboy game last week, but I'd like to do something totally non-Cowboys related. Like, do you want to go play golf? And then you got to risk that maybe they don't want to play golf. And then your invitation is, well, they don't like golf, but I like golf. Are we really going to be friends? And I didn't have a backup option, and the, and the options are really centered around the activities that I choose because we've got to do something we have in common. I mean, how long does it take before you get to the point where it's just, I'm going to come over on your patio, and we're going to have a glass of wine together? How long does it get before you're the person that I text without even thinking about it? That's an initial invitation followed by a second invitation by a third and a fourth and a fifth. And eventually you get to the point where you just know that that invitation stands. We did a, a funeral yesterday for a, a wonderful, nice man. His name was Jack Bowes, and many of you were there. Um, and one of the things I learned about Jack in the midst of the funeral was a man was talking about they had a happy hour club that um, they called themselves the happy hour club. And, and they were so close-knit, and it was, the invitation was so so available that all they did was unlock the door and put a sign that said, come in. And so anybody who was there just knew that they were welcome in whoever's house was hosting that day. And, and the thought passed through my mind of how, how impressive that is that they had reached that point of invitation and, and the history of where that must have come from, of the first invitation, the second invitation, and, and how they had gotten to a point where they had said yes enough. And not only they had said yes, but they had extended the invitation enough for where everybody was comfortable enough to where it just was part of their identity. And I tell you, my new goal in life is to have a friend group that feels compelled to name itself. And this is the way that invitation works with Jesus. You will hear so often this invitation to accept Christ as our Savior. And that is an important yes. I believe that's an important yes. But so many churches and so many people will stop at that yes. They will stop as, I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. Well, what does that mean? It means that yes, that invitation, when you say yes to that invitation, that just leads to another invitation. And that invitation is to, to learn and to study. That invitation is to serve and to grow. That invitation is to be compassionate and, and seek justice in the world. That invitation is to a whole life that is an all-encompassing whole self-life of turning ourselves over to God. When Jesus comes to Andrew and James and John and Simon and says, follow me, it's not, I want to watch the game with you for three hours. It's, I want you to follow me so closely that you are caked in the dust that comes off of my sandals so that people start to stop differentiating me and you. So when people meet you, Simon Peter, they believe that they are in the presence of Christ. Then when people meet you, people of Creekwood, that they believe they are in the presence of Christ because that relationship has been affirmed over and over again 
to where we can cease to differentiate where Jesus stops and we begin. It is an invitation that keeps on going. And I know that I am very, very proficient in always putting out a, the invitation of Christ is to serve and to give and to go out and to invite, and it's all action-oriented, and it's all something you're doing for somebody else. But let me also affirm that the invitation that Jesus offers to Andrew and Simon and James and John, where they have to leave everything, they have to die to themselves and go on and pick up their cross and follow Jesus, is not one of immense hardship all the time. Because they get to be as close as they can be to the ultimate giver of peace. They get to be as close as they can be when they experience loss and tragedy to the God who puts pieces back together. They get to be as close as they can be to the Savior who conquers death to know what eternal life looks like. The invitation of Christ is not just to go and do, but the invitation of Christ is to become so close to say yes and yes and yes and yes to where our worries and our fears and our doubts and our self-consciousness fade away, to where we cease to measure ourselves by what the world measures us. But the difference between how Jesus sees us and how we see ourselves, there's just not a lot of delineation between the two. So let me offer you some invitations today different levels of, of degrees that you can say yes to, knowing that every invitation is another invitation that is going to come after that. And, and the first one is something real simple. Uh, you, you see this graphic, and it's different pieces that put our church together. And, and I, want you to, I want to invite you to know that if this is your first Sunday or your 7,000th Sunday, that you are a piece of the puzzle of what Jesus is doing here at Creekwood. And to show you that, if you go out of the door and turn left, there is a puzzle that John Hames uh, had printed out that is a picture of our church. And uh, I want to invite you over the next four weeks to sit down and put a piece or two together. And eventually it's going to show us what the picture looks like of our church, but it doesn't happen if you don't do your piece. If you don't know that you are a vital part, no matter if you have never served in any way, never given in any way, just came here today, you are a vital piece of what God is doing because we all have gifts, and unless we're all using our gifts, we're not the fullest church that we can be. And so, so make, make it a point today, sometime during the week, go put the puzzle together. Let's see what happens. So, so there's one invitation. Just put a puzzle piece together. Um, other invitation. I mentioned the, the stewardship letters and the stewardship cards out there, the pledge cards. Um, it, it could say 50 cents, it could say a million dollars. But you turning in your pledge card not only helps us budget and put the pull piece together, but it's you saying, I am going to be here and I am going to do this. And so it is uh, not only just an estimate of your financial giving, but it is a spiritual buy-in of saying, I want to be doing what Jesus is doing in this community. And so second invitation is, is make sure you turn in your pledge card. You can do it online. I've sent out about a thousand emails about how to do it online and, and, the, and all these. If you didn't get one of those a thousand, just let me know and I will help you find that information. But then the deeper invitation is an invitation to picture yourself on a lakeshore with massive expectations of the Messiah coming. Picture yourself on a lakeshore with hopes and dreams for what the ideal of the world looks like, for what peace in your life looks like. 
for purpose and someone to, to guide you in that. Picture yourself in that situation and know that you've been invited. You have been invited and called to follow the master of the universe, the savior of us all. And I want to invite you to say yes to that. And if that's the first step, I want to invite you to say yes to that, and I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to pray with you about that. But the next step for those who have, who have said that yes is I want to invite you to make, if you're reading Scripture, I want you to read Scripture just a little bit more regularly. If you are feeling isolated within our church, I want to invite you to find a way to be a part of a small group or a service group or something where you don't feel isolated anymore, and let me help you with that. If you are somebody who comes to church for your own self and your own good and, and to get that comforting feeling, I want to invite you to take the invitation to go serve in the world and get outside the church walls and, and go invite somebody at HEB to church the next day and with the, with the fear that they might actually say yes and you might actually have to sit with them. I want to invite you to consider you've accepted an invitation already. What's the next one? What's the next invitation that is going to get you so close, where that relationship is so close, where people stop knowing where you end and Jesus begins. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's with a humble heart that we receive your invitation. And it's in our own hearts and minds in which we have to say yes. But I am incredibly grateful, Lord, that there's nothing that can ever separate us from your love. And whether we're ready for the first step but not the second step, or whether we're on the third invitation but, but we just can't make it to the fourth or the fifth because that's just a struggle for us, I am so glad that your love never fails and your grace is always there. And that that invitation will be there and persistently keep inviting us into a closer walk with you so that one day people might truly see who you are in all of our lives. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Oh, Lord, my God, when I am awesome wonder, consider all worlds I hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Grandeur and hear the blow.
invite you to sit down for just a little bit while we do our morning aerobics and our announcements. Um, I want to invite you that if you are new with us or and looking for more information about Creekwood or if you're somebody who's maybe willing, wanting to take that invitation into membership of the church, we have a welcome lunch that's happening on the 21st next Sunday. Uh, it's, it's actually going to be around 12.15, not 12.30, so that there's not like a huge long uh, break in between worship and the welcome lunch. But this is an opportunity to get to know us, for us to get to know you, to get to know each other. Every single time we do this, there is some random weird universe connection between, I used to work at Sears back when that was a thing. Oh, I used to work at Sears when that was back of a thing. And so it's always really fun to see the connections that come just between the guests that we have. So if you want to uh, be a part of that, I'd love for you to RSVP uh, on the website um, or just let me know so we can have the proper amount of food for you. Um, there's another invitation that we have. If you would like to uh, be a part of bringing care out to the world, one of the things we committed to a few years ago, especially as more of our population was getting older around us, that uh, no one got forgotten. And so if you want to be part of the visiting team to go and bring hope to people who may feel isolated and lonely, this is an incredible part of a historical, biblical way of church. Um, James says true religion is that of taking care of orphans and widows, basically people that are isolated and homebound. So if you want to be a part of the visiting team just for informational purposes, go to a lunch on the 28th of January at 1215. We're just going to have a lot of lunches in January. Uh, and then the Martin Luther King event that was scheduled to happen tomorrow is going to be postponed due to the threat of icy, sleety weather. And again, we live in Texas and we have no idea how to deal with that. So uh, it's going to be postponed to February 19th on President's Day weekend. And we hope that you can join us for that uh, important Collin County-wide celebration um, of Dr. King's legacy. And then last but not least, um, actually really, really important given our vision says we prioritize multi-next-generation uh, ministries is... Uh, Wednesday nights uh, for our student ministry are starting up this Wednesday. Middle school is 5.30 to 7, uh, high school is 6.30 to 8. That 6.30 to 7 is dinner time um, in the middle there. But this has been a phenomenally fun uh, 
opportunity for our students, and we'd love for anybody and everybody who hasn't taken the chance to come on Wednesday nights to come be a part of a small group, come have some fun, and come be a part of something really great. So with that, let me invite you to stand and receive our benediction. Know that the invitation is always open. There's always a seat at the table, and Jesus is always calling. And we get to be the people to extend that invitation to the world by loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving ourselves. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.